Hello and welcome to Curious City. My name is Letty and I'm one of the co-founders of Curious Arts. This is a podcast all about encouraging people to get curious about what's going on creatively across the city. Um, I will be talking to a collection of individuals and organisations and companies that are making an impact and it's all about trying to encourage you to get off the sofa and get out into the world. Let's have a listen to who we're talking to today. Hello and welcome to our first episode of Curious City. It's the Curious flagship podcast and I am absolutely delighted to say that today we have debut novelist Molly Aitken with us. She's here to talk about her um, new novel, The Island Child, which is taking, well it seems to be taking the entire literary world by storm already and we haven't even launched it. Um, But it's launching on the 31st of January in Sheffield and we want to meet her, hear all about it and find out what makes her tick. Welcome Molly. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for coming. Um, Right, so... The Island Child. Yes. Tell us all about it. Okay. Well, it's a novel about a young girl growing up on an isolated island uh, off the west coast of Ireland. And it's all about family secrets and mother and daughters and the intrigues that kind of crop up in very small communities. And also it's about that kind of weird symbiosis that happens in Ireland between folklore and Catholicism. And how that kind of combines. Sounds absolutely brilliant. Mm. Um, You started writing, well, I had a little little, um, research of you, Mm. obviously. (laughs) Um, And I found somewhere that uh, you started writing at nine. And your first first, uh, creation was Sophie the Orphan. Yes. Is that right? Yes. This is actually quite funny because... (laughs) I didn't realise that I had released this to the internet and now it's like coming back at me in spades from everywhere. Mm. But it is true, um, my first novel, in inverted commas. <laughs> yeah. Do you think it will ever see the light of day again? Might you revisit it? Mm. Who, like I'll never say never. No, good idea. But yeah, currently not, not working on it. Okay. Um, but I gave it to my aunt as like a Christmas present and she gave it back to me as like a printed book oh, wow. and like had it like properly banned and everything. And that so was like the addicted. moment that I was like, oh my God, my written pages can be turned into a book. And, and that's when it all started. Yeah, that was the book. Oh, yeah. I wonder if she knows how, how responsible she is, this, yeah. this aunt. Well, I did thank her in the acknowledgements. I I <laughs> <laughs> so you went to um, Galway Uni. I did, yes. And you did classics and English there. Yeah. And there's quite a lot of um, sort of classical references. It, it, a sort of retelling of the Persephone. Yes. And Odysseus, Odyssey, sorry. Yes, yes, um, and the Odyssey. And is that something that features throughout your works? I know you've, you've won all sorts of uh, awards for your short stories as well as, as this novel. Yeah, so whenever I'm writing, even if I try and stay away, mythology and folklore it just seems to always crop up for me and I think it's just because as a child these stories were told to me all the time so it's like my reference book really for stories I see so is that can it often be a starting point is that a good writing prompt for you yes but actually when I was writing the island child I didn't have um, a specific reference 
But as soon as I sort of realised the connections between what I was writing and the Persephone myth, mm. um, it all started to fit together. So, okay. yeah. So just talk us through, I mean, how do you go from, I mean, I, well, I know you <coughs> went from Galway and then you went to Bar Spa to do an MA I and did. it's a very prestigious course and lots yeah. of great writers come, come from that. But how do you then go from that to, when did you start writing The Island Child and did you know it was a novel when you began? Yes. So I started actually on the Bar Spa MA. Great, um, Okay. And I went into it with no idea what I was going to do. Everyone else had, like, these perfect plans of the novels they were going to do. And I just started writing um, and saw where it took me. And eventually, after, like, a kind of shoddy first draft, it turned into The Island Child. And did you have any help shaping it? Or what did you do with that first draft? Um, I had amazing help. So my supervisor on the MA was Faye Weldon. Oh, wow, Okay is an extraordinary writer but just like a incredible person and had such great advice for me um and so she really really helped guide me with that first draft and um I had like many meetings with her which we talked about it and I actually don't think I could have done it without her she was such a help yeah and she said some funny things to me as well like um people don't like to read about older characters I think you should make your characters very young <laughs> and she's like 84 <laughs> oh, bless but it's uh, yeah it's quite true I think. good advice yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um and so you fi- finished the MA yes and then you moved to Manchester what took you to Manchester uh my husband he was just my boyfriend at the time so he is a lecturer um yeah, and he was working at Manchester Uni. Is he in the literary world as well? or Not at all. Oh. <laughs> uh, he works in an engineering department and he does maths. Ah, total and that's opposite. About, yeah, as much as I know. <laughs> yeah, good. Good to yeah. keep some mystery, yeah, yeah, I think. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you're, if, I hope you don't mind me saying, very young to well I mean you look very young you're 29 <laughs> 28 20 oh so sorry 28 <laughs> um and almost 29 so. you have signed a two book deal yes. with Canongate yes I mean that's pretty remarkable yes uh wh- how what was the process like in terms of from finishing the novel to finding an agent to mm. getting the book published I mean did you did you find it difficult or did it kind of seem fairly straightforward so I came at it from like quite an unusual angle. Um, so part of Bath Spa, at the end of every year, um, the literary agency, Janklo and Nesbitt, run a kind of prize. Not kind of prize, it is a prize. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's for what they judge to be the best dissertation, which is, you know, your novel, your short story collection, memoir, whatever you wrote. Um, and mine won. And wow. so part of that prize was an offer of representation. So I only had a first draft, which I didn't think was that good, but I suddenly had an agent. Um, and so she was really helpful uh, with editing. Okay. And we worked for like a year together, just Gosh. editing. And then, then the process is that your agent sends it out and it you hope big. someone yeah. picks it up, yeah. which in my case... They, they, they have. Yes. They've, they've snapped it up and yeah. demanded another one. Yes. So do you want to talk a little bit about the other one? Is it h- honey and vinegar? 
That was what I originally sold to them, but I'm not working on that one because oh. it didn't go very well. <laughs> Fine. You're allowed. Second book. Yeah, yeah. If it's not going well, I've let my editor know and she's she's happy with me to work on a different one, which I'm currently calling um, The Butterfly Factory. We'll see if that stays the name. Um, and again, it's sort of based loosely on uh, a myth, which is the one of Eros and Psyche. Okay. Classic love story. And it's told from the perspective of their child um, who has kind of unhealthy say obsession with death and her family uh have a lot of secrets and possible godlike abilities um lovely yeah that's all i'll say (laughs) would you you put your your writing in the magical realism category um yes in a sense but i always sort of leave it to the reader to decide whether Mm. whether it's magical or not, or whether it's a child's perception. Um, I often write from the perspective of children. You? I really You're very like interested in, in the, um, I think I read in an interview somewhere, that the relationship between the mother and daughter specifically. Yes. Can you, what's your relationship with your mum like? It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think, if you read the book, you might not assume. <laughs> um, Interesting. Because in The Island Child, the main character, you know, her relationship with her mother is... Uh, quite difficult um, due to the mother's extreme Catholicism and sort of her beliefs around what a woman should be and Una kind of struggling against that Mm. Um, and I have a very open relationship with my mother and she's not Catholic but she is Irish and she was brought up Catholic so that's I think that's where I got a lot of that sort of background and Um, when she read it did she say oh no, is this based on, is this what you think of me? <laughs> or did you, was she, did she know what you were doing? She actually hasn't read it yet. Oh, wow. I know, yeah. Oh, I, I, I have told to. her a lot about it. Yeah. Um, and I've dedicated it to her. Oh. Um, so you, yeah, we were really close, but. She yeah. hasn't yet. Are you waiting for it to be a solid a object in, in her hand? Yeah. Gosh, how fantastic. Yeah. So have you, where has this come from, this writing, this storytelling, this ability to, create imagined worlds and mm. and put them down beautifully um yeah that's a good question I think when I was younger uh before I wrote Sophie the Orphan mm. <laughs> which I cannot wait to read yeah, classic <laughs> classic um yeah I used to force my friends to act at plays and I think I did that too yeah yeah mm. uh, I love controlling everything and sort of orchestrating everything and then eventually I started to realize that it's much easier to control just you yeah if I'm the one creating it I mean my characters still do misbehave and Una definitely misbehaved in the island child and did things that you weren't expecting yeah gosh that's interesting yeah but those are often the most interesting scenes yeah so what happens when that do do you sort of realize it's happening at the time or do you try and fight against it or you're just like oh I wasn't expecting that I'll just see what she's got to say um, I never fight against it because yeah. it's usually much more interesting than what I initially Predi- yeah. Yeah, predicted. But as anyone else in your family, are they creative? Are they, do they, are they writers? Are they, where's this creative streak come from? Um, um, so my mom uh, is a painter okay. and a singer, um, but no one is really a storyteller. Um, my grandfather... Uh, on my Scottish side, uh, he was a professor of linguistics. Right. And he was friends with Tolkien 
and C.S. Lewis and sort of gosh I mean that, that's pretty good going isn't it yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so there was always sort of that literary side to things my grandmother used to read a lot and recommend me books mm-hmm. um so I was always reading. And you say that, that reading is, is one of the greatest sources of inspiration to you to yes. now and to your work today. Yes, definitely. What kind of books do you read? Do you read things that align themselves with your own work or do you try and keep it eclectic? Or what, what tickles your pickle, Molly? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. So I think I try, I try and read in different areas. I read like children's books and uh, thrillers and all these kinds of things because I think they all lend themselves to... Uh, learning to create different aspects of story and things that maybe I'm not as strong as uh, or as strong at but um, mostly I focus on character stories character driven stories yeah so Um, you want to know what happens yes and also books by women I have a tendency to always read books by women yes yeah Yeah. I think I'm the same (laughs) (laughs) Um, so so, something that we ask people in the in the questionnaire that I send out to Mm. to all our lovely guests is what are you curious about and um you said people yes and it's at the core of why you write you want to you're curious about what makes us behave in in strange and and irrational ways that we often do have you come to any conclusions about that no No. I I think possibly it's just made me even more curious writing about people um I think we often act in ways that seem unpredictable or that maybe you wouldn't expect um and I think that makes for the best stories just trying to understand what makes someone tick yeah yeah getting under their skin yeah exactly Um, so you haven't been in Sheffield we're gonna we're gonna talk about talk about Sheffield now what what are you doing in Sheffield we're we're thrilled to have you obviously (laughs) and I'm glad to be here good um again it was my husband so he got a lectureship here okay. in Sheffield and so we moved and I'd actually never been really yeah um so you must be pleased because you're you've, you've come from Manchester yes. and you're you've been reunited with the nature yes the greenery of the city exactly so I I was brought up in a tiny tiny little village uh, on the west West Cork West Cork yeah. yes exactly uh, right beside the sea and like throughout my childhood I thought it was the most boring place ever mm. I was trying to escape uh, and get to the city but now I really miss nature and while I was in Manchester I sort of it's all the concrete going. and everything I I started to really miss it so yeah. it's uh, lovely to be back doing tramp, tramping about tramping, the Peak District yes. yeah <laughs> um, and you also say uh, that you, your favourite thing about Sheffield, I'm very pleased to say, is, is the people. <laughs> yes. And that they remind you of the Irish. They do. And in what, what do you mean by that? Um, just how friendly everyone is. Um, I know when I first moved over, uh, I moved to Bath, and I found people a little bit surprised when I spoke to them in the street and, like, taken aback. Yes. Um, <laughs> so I had to like dial back my inner Irishness of needing to talk to people all the time, yeah. wherever I was. Um, but here I find it really refreshing that people do just randomly they stop here it. and, and love chat a chat to. on the street. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And there's a good sense of humour here as well, which kind of reminds me of the Irish sense of humour. Yeah. yeah. Do you go back much? Um, I do because my mum is still living there. She's still there. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And have you got siblings at all? 
I do. I have uh, one younger sister and two older sisters. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've always wanted a sister. I've just been fobbed off with one brother, but... Oh. Um, four sisters? Three. Three. Sorry, I can't... Maths four is not my strong me. point. <laughs> okay. Um, are they still over there, or are they all doing eclectic things? What do they do? Um, none of them are there. So, oh, okay. my two older sisters are just from my dad's side, and they live in Edinburgh. Okay. And then my younger sister uh, is an organic farmer... Uh, in the Cotswolds. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, gosh, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> so what's next for you? I mean, by, d- by day, you're kind of living the dream because you, yeah. you're, a, you're an editor and a, a ghostwriter. Yes. Yeah. Can you explain to our audience what a ghostwriter is for those that don't know? So a ghostwriter uh, writes books for, write, or for authors um, and creates the books in tandem with them. Um, for me, I usually do memoirs, mm-hmm. um, so I'll interview people and get uh, all the information for the book and then write it for them and we'll have a back and forth and they'll do their input and I'll change things. That's how it works. And how do you get into that? Um, I sort of fell into it by mistake. <laughs> As with most j- jobs, that's, yeah. that is a common theme, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, so I, was, I wanted to be writing um and to make my money from that and I saw a job advert for this applied got it and then just kept kept going kept going yeah gosh it sounds really interesting yeah um writing about other people's lives is quite interesting and I think it's it's quite good research for characters exactly I and like finding someone else's voice and really inhabiting them and their experience has taught me so much about writing fiction mm. as well yeah and I know that lots of people listening to this will want to know like the the actual like how do you do it so what is your process do you mm. um do you have a structure to your day do you work on your own do you what w- w- talk us through a day in the life of Lady Aitken okay <laughs> So I usually try and wake early. Doesn't mm-hmm. always happen. Um, and I'll. When you say early, what are we talking? Mm, Six thirty. No, it's quite early. It is quite mm. early. I mean, usually Especially it's about seven. It's it kind of goes yeah. off, and I snooze a few Do, times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I'll just write three pages longhand. Um, morning pages. Morning pages. From the artist's way. From the artist's way um, by Julia Cameron, and it's this kind of artist workbook that takes you through a 12-week process of... Did you complete the 12 weeks? I did, and that was like six years ago. And now I'm sort of redoing it. Rediscovering the Redis- artist's way. Yeah. Have you done it? I have done it, actually. Yeah. I did it probably also about six years ago. Okay. But I think I gave up on the, the week when they tell you you're not allowed to read. Oh, I forgot about that. That was so, so oh, harrowing. I think I just said, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> um but morning pages are just yes. such a good way of, of unblocking yes. and, and getting that, that writing flowing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's just like a mind dump and it gets all the kind of the little niggly things out of your head um, and onto the page and then you kind of feel like it's done and you can do the real work yeah. of the day, whatever that is. Um, so I find it incredibly useful. And I have been doing it on and off for six years. Gosh. Um, yeah. Would you say that's helped your process, your writing? That's Definitely. Um, a lot of ideas kind of come out, out of it while I'm writing. Yeah. Um, and I figure out things about my characters and have little conversations with them on the page. So, so nice. Yeah. Um, so just the launch. Mm. Yes. 
it's happening on the 30th 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 of january of january quite soon yeah soon very soon and you've had all (laughs) kinds of media coverage i have independent independent irish independent irish times yeah it does it feel sort of unreal or it does really to be honest was it a shock yeah um because i wasn't really told that i would appear i'm not even sure my publisher knew so it's quite fun getting these little notifications online and how has it made you feel about the the thing you're writing now the second book has it made you go oh no i am i am good enough i'm you know i am a writer or has it made you go oh my god what if i can't what what if the next book's not good as good enough you know it's not it doesn't hit the thing how does it make you feel um it hasn't really affected my thoughts around the second book which maybe it should have oh no i'm sorry i planted that seed (laughs) um it should be the first one by the way where you're like no i am good (laughs) yeah um and no it's just lovely to hear hear from readers as well because you know you write this thing and you don't know if it will resonate with people um but it seems to be which is is wonderful yeah um finally have you got any hot tips for our creatives out there who are i don't know maybe doubting themselves or Mm. sitting here listening to a podcast thinking i wish that was me or i'll I'll never get there or any advice for the creative freelancer Mm. um well actually first i would say that I used to be in those shoes and not sure if I could do it. Um, And for me, I think you just have to keep plugging at it and keep going. And how do you get yourself to do that? Okay. Because it's always going to be that. I think even speaking to like professional writers um, and authors who've written like 10 books, it never goes away. Do you Um, think it's part of what, what drives a creative is that doubt? Yes. Yeah, and I think you're always trying to better yourself as well, and that's part of the fun. Yeah. Um, and that's what keeps me going. Because, like, yeah, I, I know I can do things better and mm. keep trying. Um, but, yeah, just keep powering through and keep working. I think uh, the secret is in the work. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, because, I mean, from an outsider's perspective, you know, it's all too easy to go, oh, well, she just went straight from uni straight to an MA hmm. and then got picked up and that it's all been it's all been plain sailing hmm. is that is that perception correct or are there have there been tricky times that we don't know about necessarily that yeah. you've, you've powered on through yeah I mean there's always you always have self-doubt but also things happen in your personal life that can affect your creative work sure. for sure um so and I find it's it's quite difficult to separate those two things isn't yes. it of what part where does Molly end and the creativity begin or what which which is the personal which is the professional yeah and how to keep going if the personal side of things is is difficult yeah and that is really hard and I think you have to uh take care of yourself and actually I work much better when I'm taking care of other things in my life yeah my creative work flows much better and feels easier so actually sometimes maybe the focus shouldn't be your creative work but actually making yourself happier in whatever ways you can which is a difficult thing to do obviously but um that is a lovely lovely tip yeah right molly thank you so much for talking to me yeah thank you for having me um we're really looking forward to to coming to your launch we've got the whole team curious coming down (laughs) um and can't wait to read it thank you okay thanks bye a curious arts production